Welcome to Reconsider. I'm Bill Hartman. This is the podcast to challenge you to ask better questions, to look beyond traditional models of thinking and arrive at better health and fitness solutions. Does it sound maniacal? No, and I'm trying to like play the devil's advocate listener who is going to be like, Bill thinks he's the best and all this other stuff, because it's not what you're saying, but you have to, in order to have, so in order to have a contrarian viewpoint, you have to sound like that. Unfortunately. Well, like I said, I usually sound, I usually sound half crazy. Yeah, but that's what a contrarian is going to sound like. And when, when all of these, when you look at all of these different things that are useful, so say in physical therapy, you see all of these models that are useful. And they've been helpful with your treatment of people. Mm-hmm. And you see that there's a lot of things about each of these models that, that are principle based that seem to be coherent across all of the models. But there are a lot of things that are not. So right. it would be reasonable to think that all of the things that are not relatable between the models might not matter as much as the things that do. Like sort of right. span the models. So that's sort right. of what we're, we've been talking about. When we talked about it in the first episode a bit is just like seeing what's available, understanding that although it is useful and you could just stop and you could probably just continue being a a physical therapist for the next 30 years, doing exactly what you did when you started being a physical therapist and you'd be fine, right? Like people want the the average people who collect an average paycheck and have an average uh, family life and an average size house, like all that stuff. You could just be that forever and maybe that's how you want to live your life. But when it comes to seeking progress and trying to be the most useful problem solver, or I'm going to go ahead and say maybe the best way to, I think the funny way to explain my job is just, I'll just put world's greatest detective just because that's uh well, you know, I, I have a painting. I have, I have a painting that I got as a, yeah. as a gift from, uh, from my boy, Zach that, you know, has, you know, got Satsiorsky or not Satsiorsky, but, uh, Sapolsky on there. I got Einstein. I got, uh, What's his butt? The um, Pollock. I got Pollock yeah. up there. You know, I got my Bruce Willis, and I got I got the Batman. Right? Yeah. It's so, like all the, of those that, guys. For anyone just... not in the know, Bat Batman would be the world's greatest detective, and that's yes, what we're referring the to. Detective for sure. I mean, my my hat. Oh, can you show that? The subtle, there you go. Very nice. The subtle, the subtle bat. Uh, there you go. But yeah, so in the in the first part of this, we we kind of talked about we jumped around a little bit, so. Hopefully, I mean, anyone listening to this is going to have to be pretty interested in your model anyways, but that's okay, right. just because talking about this is useful, I think. Um, yeah. We talked about the constraints that needed to be addressed, like how they are different and there are archetypes and configurations. We could get mm-hmm. more into that, or we can just keep doing a more surface-level representation of it, because we, we well, also put, touched on... put things on... together. So, you know, first principles. So these are the yeah. absolutes that without... Without context, they're the they're the absolutes, and then you start to look at the constraints, and then you start to look at, um, in, for, as far as context goes, that that's the environment, the affordances in the environment, and how they influence what the options actually are, and then you you um, practice, right? So this is another part that that comes into play is like you do things and you observe, and so you're always running the experiment. So. Back in on December 29th, 2016, when I whiteboarded this thing for the first time, um, there was an N equals one 
on the on the board right and then there was the within subjects design experiment and that's a big part of this because it it took a lot of a lot of doing and failing and doing and failing and then trying to explain this and then looking for resources that would help explain this but yet remain coherent and so there was a lot of process involved with this and so when you think about um, anybody that's that's seen my drawing that I do like for the intensive where I I, I have a 10,000 foot view of, of of my perspective it's broken into three three segments, which are the principles, the processes, and then the the plans. And so a lot of the stuff that we talk about um, falls under the principle and process um, element of that because that's how it evolved um, by trying to answer the questions that, that I would see represented. It's like trying to explain why something would happen in a certain way and then seeing the consistencies in that. And then that starts to... to allow you to recognize the underlying principle of why you would see some measure of consistency consistency right yeah and i'll i'll post if it's all right with you i'll post a picture of the model just on the on the podcast here so people can see the it's nothing you haven't posted before like i, I know you did a video on no, the I, model I, don't, I, don't ever, I don't know if i posted it in public or not like i said you it, uh it, it, the pic it exists as at least a thumbnail on your youtube page i know that for a fact okay yeah, maybe so. Yeah, yeah. so we'll, but it's we'll like, include it's like, that. Just... Like that's really, like like I said, it's a 10,000 foot view. Yeah, yeah. And that's, as as a little short aside to that, I think if anyone listening to this is still listening and interested in this, the, it's useful to know what your model is as well. So kind of write it out in the way that we just presented with that picture and what Bill yeah. was saying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like for for a long time, the model was sort of known in very in a very small circle. It was called the three P's, right? Something like that. Yeah, like the the PPP model. <laughs> Principles, but, processes, and, and, and plans. And there's no yeah. there's really no reason for anyone to know anything different. But I think the one of the things I want to try to have us do with this this series of podcasts or whatever recordings we're doing, talking about your model is. I want it to become a, a resource for people that ask you questions about your model, but they don't know it. So they say, Bill, can you explain the expansion compression model? Or you go on a podcast, for instance, oh, and the, the people. See, you just, you just said that now people are going to think that that's what they're going to call it. Right. Well, that's, that, that's what we're trying to figure out. Uh, we're trying to give someone a resource to go to. So if you had, so if, say you do go on a podcast and the person that's interviewing you or talking to you, says the expansion compression model um what you'll have a you'll have somewhere to, to direct them after you tell them that that's not what it is uh so that's what this i think that's what why this will be the most useful thing because it's like okay. it gives people an opportunity to actually figure it out because they can try to what's part of the problem is that people there's obviously no you know we're not assuming malice or anyone trying to do anything uh shady by just repeating this model or talking about the model. They just have tried to piece together all this information and have heard things about what it is about. So they just say these things. Like that's why they were gonna call it the expansion compression model. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's you know, you just talked to Robbie. We talked about it and, and even even Robbie had that was his way of explaining it. And that's, you know, no fault of his. It's just what everyone else seems to say 
and what mm -hmm. seems to be the things that you're talking about, but it's not really what it is. So it's like we're trying to develop, trying to give a resource for people to actually understand what it is. So we've talked about being constraints led in the approach, which yep. is not something that you came up with, like the whole constraints led approach oh, gotcha. of thinking is, yeah. You go, if you dip into dynamical systems theory right away, right, that's like, what right it off is. the bat, yeah. you're going to get hit with like, okay, this, and they'll break it down. They'll break it down into into two segments. They'll say, well, these are the structural constraints, and then these are the, unfortunately, they'll say they're the functional constraints. Oh, you, so, you said it. I well, I, I like I said, <laughs> I kind of threw up, I threw up in my mouth first. I threw up it's, my, uh, the, the yeah, F word. The F word is on the dirty words list, right? Man, um, but but that's Can... but that's the standard terminology. So I, I I will give it give credit where credit is due. Um, but 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 right away they're going to say like this this is. And again, this is one of those things that like jumps out at you. Like when you read this, you go, oh, that stuff matters a lot. And they're not all exactly the same, right? There are, there are variations on a theme here. And then those variations are influential in the outcome. Yeah. And, and that's what, that's what we're trying to, that's what we're trying to understand. It's like, okay, within this, within this body of, of evidence, within this, this context is like, how are we behaving? Right. And, and again, for those listening who are a little more on the devil's advocate and, and uh, upset side about things, we're not saying that Bill invented the constraints led approach or dynamic no. systems theory. No. But what we are mentioning is that's important is that when it comes to the the constraints that are listed, if you don't understand the constraints of the system that you're talking about, then that's the problem. It's not the fact that like we're using dynamical systems theory, which is principles based, but it's not understanding the constraints is the issue. It's that thinking, going back to what we said in the first episode, thinking that the structural and constraints for a human being are the same across the board is the problem. Mm -hmm. So we're, you know, that's part of one of the, the, the main tenets or principles of the, right. this unified it, it model even even so just to to reiterate a point it's like everything that has come before is useful to some degree but at some point there is an interference that that caps the value and we're trying to eliminate that as much yeah. as we can as much as we can right? that is it's that's difficult. an excellent point yeah it's because you're, you're gonna and it, you come over the course of your career and whatever it is, you're going to come to a point where the things that you do and the model that you use aren't working when you expect them to. And when you hit a point like that, there has to be some sort of evolution to your model because your model should have the answer to that. Yeah. And if it doesn't, yeah. that's when you need to seek further help and understanding. But a lot of people don't, they just chalk it up to an exception to a rule and then they create a new rule. Right. In order to just keep them right. within their very straightforward worldview that seemed to work. Yeah. The, you know, the, the ultimate evolution of this is just trying to answer questions. Yeah. Like coming up, coming up against something, asking a question, then trying to answer it and not having to reestablish a new rule every time you try to answer a question. You could do that. You could do that. If you paid attention and you made a list long enough, you could probably pull it off and still be effective. Right. Because, again, we we're we're mostly playing with probabilities anyway. Right. That was going to be are, my next point. Well, I, will I was going to talk, that... talk about Annie. I was going to talk about Annie Duke's book. Oh, Annie Duke. Of course. Yeah. So 
You talk about models, you got to mention George Box. You talk about probability, you talk about Annie Duke. That, those, that, those are like, Annie Duke's one of the, one of my favorite resources in that regard. Yeah. Right? So that's, let's she explains use, it exceptionally well. well. She explains it exceptionally yeah. well. Uh, thinking let's, in bets. I, yeah. Let's just, yeah, let's just do, yeah. yeah. So there'll be, there's going to be a lot of, yeah, there's, that's going to be referenced in the show notes. Uh, there'll be a link for that book. We'll yeah. also link uh, Robbie's podcast and Pat's podcast because those are go. good. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about probabilities and how that influences dynamic Correct. systems. Yeah, because because we here, here's the thing that that you, I don't want to misrepresent. It's like there's very little knowing, like in my opinion. So I've been I've had a, a buddy in in the treatment room. He had, he just likes to learn and observe and 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 I would do something with a level of confidence, and and he said you knew that was going to happen. And, and I would say, well, not exactly. I just thought it was more likely that it would happen because you're playing probability. So if I am 82% correct most of the time, I do really, really well. But you got to understand that there's that 18% that always exists that you're going to fail miserably. And so, so, you know, my failures are daily. Like you fail daily. Like you do something, it's like, didn't get the outcome that I wanted. But having a strong representative model allows you to, to determine it's like, okay, what are, what are the other possibilities that could be going on here? Now I make another, another selection. I determine my trade-off and now I do get the outcome that is much more favorable, at least in the direction that I've been trying to go. So um, as we would say, we're, we're, or any Duke would say, we're playing, we're playing poker, not chess, where chess yeah. would be very, very, very clear on what the possibilities are there. Like the constraints are very, very strong under that circumstance. When we're playing, playing around with, with human beings, like the constraints are exceptionally important, but there's a lot of uh, influences that we don't control or don't even know, like, like the unknown unknowns exist. And we would probably fall back on luck in that circumstance. Yeah, and the the whole the whole idea of a, a a unified model that's the most useful is going to be something that's competing against luck. Yeah. Um, which is actually another great book that, that's by a guy named Clayton Christensen. So I'll put that. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's great. That, a lot of that it talks about innovation and how um, uh, you can't you can't just like assume things are based on averages and try to get lucky with what you're doing. There's other questions that a lot of it just has to do with asking questions. But uh, one of the mm -hmm. things that I wanted to talk about that you had mentioned was uh, the idea of failure and how that needs to be part of anyone's model. So there, but what you like to talk about when you talk about your model is safe to fail experiments. Correct. So it's, it's planning to fail but managing the risk of that failure in a way so that when you fail, you can almost fail upwards, I guess would be a way to put it. Well, um, some, some of it's reframing and some of it is like a, an absolute. So, so, so yeah. this comes straight out of, out of working in, in complexity. So, so the, if you uh, throw Kinevin on the book list, um, yeah. that'll be another good representation for people to look at. Um, so it's 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 how you make sense of things. So so we deal with complex humans. So so literally we're complex adaptive systems. 
And so the in, in a complex adaptive system, there may be a cause and effect, but it cannot be determined except for in hindsight, which means you have to do something, see what happened, and then you can determine to a better degree as to why that may have happened. Like that's the goal. That's why this is hard, right? That's why, again, it's, it's, it's um, probability management versus being like, oh, it's either yes or no. Um, so it's also the uh, relationship of induction and deduction, right? Well, okay. So let's let's scrap that. We're actually we're actually in a situation of abduction. So so in 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 when you're using abductive reasoning, you have incomplete information. So I mentioned mm. unknown unknowns. So if you're dealing with unknown unknowns, I got news for you. You don't even have all the information that would be necessary to make the best absolute decision under the circumstance. So because we're using incomplete information, this would be abductive reasoning, um, which again, leaves a lot on the table. And again, this is why it, it's it's going to come down to uh, a probabilistic uh, uh, situation versus like an absolute yes or an absolute no. There are situations, there are situations which have much greater clarity, um, which would fall into a, a representation. If we use, a, again, a Kinevin uh, framework that they would call clear something that would be really obvious. And that would be, okay, you're playing basketball, you jump up in the air for a rebound, you come down, you land on somebody's foot, you sprain your ankle. That's obvious. That's that's very clear as to what the cause and effect was of that ankle situation. But if somebody just walks in, you know, with insidious onset of, of ankle pain, that's a whole different situation where, where we have so many unknowns as to what are the why. And so we would approach those things a little bit differently where we do have to experiment. So we run an experiment that does not put somebody at high risk of like, if it does fail, something bad happens, right? So if you're iffy on, on execution of something that would increase the risk, put somebody in danger, um, those are the things that we want to avoid. So we're, we're running experiments, but if it does fail, it provides us information as to what the next step in the process would be, but we're not putting them at risk um, in this process. That's a right. huge, huge deal. And I think honestly, one of one of the aspects of the model, your model that is going to be the most useful for people might be that because I, I think a lot of people try to avoid failure at all costs. So then they end mm -hmm. up they end up not actually approaching the threshold to progress someone. Right. If they stay so clear, if they stay so clear of the point of failure because they're frightened of it or they are concerned that they're going to have a setback or some sort of negative trade off, then that's right. actually going to hinder progress maybe more than anything. Well, and part of part of that is probably understanding what the options actually are. And, and I'll be the first one to admit that I don't know what all of them are, but but that's part of. Again, this is this is why this is always a work in progress. You'll hear me say, "Oh, the model just evolved, right?" It's like, "Oh, we have another influence. We have another option that we can actually identify um, with with some um, measure of consistency and coherence." It's like, "Okay, then we have to pay attention to this the next time." And so we're always building, like, "Okay, what is possible? What are the options?" And the more of those we know, then we can run more experiments in a much more uh, safe to fail way. Yeah. And then it stops becoming like, oh, well, that's an exception. And then, oh, that's an exception. It's the, the that thought of this is exceptional should yeah. be the point in time where you ask, well, why? And right. why is what why is what I was currently doing not working? And what are the so this is this is that concept that we had talked about very early on in the podcast about counterfactual information. 
having to use your imagination and what you know to determine why something might have happened outside of what the expected outcome was or mm -hmm. what you might, I mean, what you would uh, expect other people would expect as an outcome. So it's like what someone, someone did something that maybe you or I might think like, oh, that's not what they should have done or, mm -hmm. and they got, they got a good result. Right. So the, the question can either stop there or you can continue to ask, well, well, why might that thing actually have worked? Like, what are the other, right. what are the other factors that are in play here? Yeah. And that's where yeah. that like whole idea of understanding trade-offs and being the world's greatest detective sort of comes into play. Yeah. And then always have the understanding that you still might not be able to figure it out. Yeah. Cause your model's wrong. Absolutely. George Box, bring him up. Okay, so yeah, so here's the opener, <laughs> right? Like, I am wrong. Yeah, <laughs> but, this model but, you're about to learn about is wrong. This model, yeah, and then that, what, you want him to turn off the podcast there, boss. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's, your, there's your opener, like, don't listen to What further. you're about to hear wrong. is completely useless. <laughs> No, but that certainly, well, see, I don't, I mean, I don't know how much we're going to try to grab people's attention. And it's like, how do you grab someone's attention that doesn't know anything about you and try to get them to watch an hour and a half yeah. of, of you talking about a model? I'm not too worried about I that. Know. I don't know. I'm just having a good time. So, yeah, I mean, this, this has been great so far. I just want to like, as a, just a way for my mind thinking about this and then maybe as a sort of a, uh, a break for the people listening to kind of recap where we've gone so far. So we, we've talked about being constraint sled and dynamical systems. We've talked about mm -hmm. probabilities as they relate to those systems. We've talked about, we've touched upon a bit about like what the constraints actually are structurally for, for mm -hmm. the human system. Mm -hmm. um, and we said that there, you know, there are typically, I think maybe we should go through when it comes to explaining the model, it's like from the, the joke perspective or like the, we kind of kid around about like, you know, they're the rules of the model so that there's like two, you have two strategies in which you can move. There's, there's two extremes of structural archetypes. There's four to 16 potential configurations. There are no planes of motion. Uh, there is mm -hmm. no spoon. <laughs> Matrix which reference. works on just so many i mean we've never talked you and i have this joke between us but we've never really talked about it it works on so many levels because there's the there's the being spoon fed uh aspect of it right. there's the exactly. there's the reality there's the reality bending aspect of the kid in the matrix saying that there is no spoon right. uh right. that's true too because it's just like we're we're perceiving this you know, potentially limitless reality of dimensions with just a very, the mm. very like, uh, blunt instrument. <laughs> it's like, we can only perceive so much information. I'm afraid so. And we got, th yeah. we got three dimensions that we can perceive of the potentially, who knows, thousands. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know where to go now. I just kind of like ran myself off a cliff. <laughs> I don't know. Like this is one of those conversations where I don't really know what I've been talking about, and you don't know what you're talking about. So we're these two like cyclones circling I, each other. It's, it's like it's like two guys 
It's like two guys sitting in a nursing home having conversations with each other, but only by themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's the joke, right? It's like, are are we just yeah, are we just in the corner of a padded room, just having this conversation I, with no one? I have, I have, I have that thought on a daily basis. Like this, like my reality is, I'm probably sitting in a nursing home alone in a wheelchair somewhere, and this is all just, taking place in my head. This you're, is just, you're just rocking yeah, just back and forth in myself. the corner. Yep. Grand unified principles, grand unified theories, (laughs) Newtonian, Lagrangian, Newtonian, Einstein. Oh, yeah, don't, you're getting above my pay grade. That makes me uncomfortable when I start talking about that stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, just keeping it basic is going to be where we should continue to be. I think um, maybe just expanding on what I just rattled off in terms of like, what are the, what are the, it's like if you were to make a t-shirt with bullet points about the model those are the things those are the, well then you know it's the things you typically talk about like two strategies seven components of force um the gravity the config, water arch, structural archetypes pressure con- configuration yeah pressures and volume relationships pressure propulsion yeah, that would be that would be good because that's like, been that's been a perspective that's changed over time. So if someone was to look at a, a video of you talking about the model from four years ago, it would be different. Yeah, they would. Yeah, well, it's, it, just an, it's, just first, an, it's just an evolution. Well, sure. And my my first experience with uh, let's talk about that. My first experience with it was talking about the spectrum of load to propulsion, and that evolved into right. just talking about propulsion. So maybe we talk about right. that. Well, okay, so, um, and, and this would be represented by the fact that anytime something pushes against you, there's a pushback. Like, and that, that's a very Isaac Newton, you know, um, law, if you will. And yeah. so it's just recognition of that. Um, so I always get the question, it's like, why don't you just talk about uh, gate? And the reason that I, don't just call it gate is because that's not the only representation of propulsion. Also, stance is very confusing. I, well, okay. I'm not a big, so I'm not a big fan of stance because I'm not standing. Stance implies a static representation. And when we're propelling, we're actually moving through space in contact with a medium. Okay. So if we want to give it a definition, Right. And so um, a swimmer swims against the resistance, uses resistance against water. That's propulsion. And it follows the exact same rules. Therefore, yeah, regardless if, I, of gate. if I talk about, correct. So, so in a gate, gate's, a, gate's an it, uh, walking. I just prefer walking. Just walking is a good representation because it allows us to see many things. And it's a good foundation that, good foundational representation because once we once we identify the shapes that are involved in it those are the things that keep showing up so whether you're rolling across the ground whether you're swimming in water whether you're walking on land whether you're sprinting right if you're moving white cells that move out of circulation into the cellular environment use the exact same principles it's it's kind of cool to see actually once you understand it but that, but that's why that's why I use that terminology. I'm not doing it to be contrarian. It is a contrarian concept, but I will hazard to guess that you will see it show up in a couple of books. Um, 
the, the one that comes to mind would be like Mishad's uh, uh, human locomotion. Like he'll talk about, about propulsion, but they will only talk about it in a certain aspect of walking. Um, where I would say it has to be applied um, across the board because if I'm in contact, let's just use walking. If I'm in contact with, with the ground, um, if I don't, if I don't push back, I collapse. Therefore, I am always propelling myself because I'm always moving forward under those circumstances. I might move forward at a slower rate, but I'm always moving forward. So there is always an element of propulsion in play at all times. And so if we recognize that, then it's like, oh, the universal principles are actually propulsion. It's not walking. Walking is just one representation of propulsion. If I understand that, then maybe I can extrapolate that to other forms of movement through space. Yeah. In fact, and I think all of them, all of them would have that description. Right. Because we're again, we're trying to come up with something that's coherent and there isn't right. exceptions in, in different realms. It's all just... Yeah. In reality, based in our, our reality, these are things that seem to be true about movement in general for everything. Right. Um, right. And you mentioning like shape change and propulsion, mm -hmm. that's because like you said, there, there are, you could see immune cells and you could see amoeba yeah. and, and at the cellular level, like the tiniest organisms, things that potentially we were evolved from, um, they move well, the same way. way. Yeah, that's why we. Well, because it's so. So the rule doesn't change. What well, changed yeah. was the const, the constraints evolved, but the rules never changed. It's like when right. you were a single cell, you did things a certain way. Now that you're multicellular and you have different like evolved constraints, you still have to follow the same rules. So again, that right. in in my mind, like that makes me feel comfortable that that. That, that the path that, that I'm taking is is correct because it is coherent. Like I don't have to make up new rules. Yeah. So let's let's ride that then. I think that so maybe talking about rules in nature and how when nature finds something that tends to work, it just sort of sticks with it. And then right. that can lead us to like iteration. Sure. To, I mean, to, yeah, I, I don't want to get get too too deep into that because it gets a little too. But deep. it's it's an important part of understanding your model, I believe. Right, right. Well, again, it, it, so so uh, if you think about, I think I think uh, Sapolsky talks about this actually quite well in one of his lectures um, when he's talking about about the bifurcation process. It might, he might be talking about either blood vessels or the lungs, and I can't remember which it was, but they're both this, kind of the same representation of this tree. It's like the rule is, is you get a branch, that branch splits into two, the next branch splits into two, and so on and so forth, that eventually you get this, you know, uh, big representation of a complex, what appears to be a very complex tree, when the reality is it was just following a simple rule. It's just that the starting conditions were different every time you apply the rule and then that's what leads to complexity and so what all we're trying to do is is sort of undo that process and again that that falls under the sort of the reverse, reverse engineering um element of it right and when it, when you're talking about iteration and you're talking about shapes and you're talking about the commonalities between them all right i think it's it, just it's, it's the repeating it's the repeating elements 
Yeah, and that's, you know, and and we can think about that mathematically. And we're talking about things that the things that tend to be the most true when it comes to science are going to be the things that are based in physics and math. Um, It seem to be universal constants of things. So when you talk about the math and physics aspect of shape, you're going to have to think about like sacred geometry and the the numbers and representations of geometry that seem to exist. um, Right. Well, they're, they're are, representative of, of, of efficiency. Like, yeah. you know, there's a certain reason the planets are spherical, right? Because that's that's the efficient shape, right? That's why it sure. defaults into that based on the way that gravity works, however that works, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. So this is, this, this is an interesting... I hope everyone's enjoying watching riding my stream of consciousness as I try to, like... <laughs> direct direct bill to saying to talking about his model in a way that everyone can can uh follow along with but yeah so on top of that it's kind of what i'm what we're thinking can i just about. say something can i just say something that oh, it, this always makes me uncomfortable it's like i i i i am um, uh i don't i don't think that i'm more intelligent than anybody else i fail miserably a lot I just want to make that very clear that, again, it's like for some reason, whenever we talk about this stuff, if if you really were that, yeah, it just makes me really were that intelligent. Sorry, Bill. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) No, it just makes me a little it it weirds me out a little bit, you know, to talk about it like like that. But it's like because I don't think there's anything exceptional about about what I put together. Uh, you know, um, I think anybody could do it. Um, I, I just, don't agree again, with that, but that's okay. Well, I don't know. It's just, it's just weird. It's just weird. Yeah. For me. Well, that's because you have a level of humility to you that is sort of important for for progress as well. It's. I don't. Um, I, don't I think you know. I. It's. I. 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 I don't. I just. Man, I just hate to sound. I don't mind sounding crazy. I just don't want to have the egomaniacal representation, you know. Well, yeah, we we mentioned that, that a couple it. times. I think we mentioned that a couple times already. It's the being able to present this information in the way that's necessary for people to listen to it, because there has to be in order to anyone to want to listen to something and disseminate that information and have that change their worldview. It has to come from a place of confidence. And the, the way that people are exposed to new information and learning, the sources that they're getting their information from are overly confident in many cases. So that becomes the, that becomes the benchmark for trying to become an educator is that you have to yeah. speak with such a level of confidence that is on the, on the borderline of being egomaniacal in order yeah. for people to listen in a significant way, which is tough. Yeah, uh, I, I should probably just skew myself towards the crazy side of things and just stick with that, I think. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not, I'm, hopefully I'm not coming across as some sort of like sycophant when it comes to talking to you about this stuff. I, well, we're talking I don't about it together, it. so you don't really have a choice. You don't really have a choice. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of looped into this thing. Well, the, the, the long and short of it is if you were so smart, you wouldn't need me to be able to do any of this. I'd be You'd wicked be doing smart. all this by yourself. It'd be wicked smart. <laughs> I'd be wicked smart, uh, like Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so now that we've completely 
tank the the momentum of the conversation again. I got to try to well, I, die. I, I can't help it because I get again, it gets weird. It gets weird. So we we were talking about sacred geometry and yeah. we talked about efficiency and we talked about shape change and the the general. Okay, so the general rules for shape change and movement seem to be sort of universal for whatever we're talking about. Right. And you had mentioned you had mentioned like sprouting tree branches, and it's like, hey, why does why does a sprouting tree look like the the cardiovascular system of a human? It's like, how does it? Why does it branch in the same way? And it's just like, well, that that seems to be the most efficient way to branch. It, exactly, because it works. It works. Yeah. And so it stands to reason that we should see that that consistently represented. And, then, and it's kind of the, the same thing. Why why can we study other animals? Like, why, why do we study other animals? Well, because there's elements um, that we'll see in, in other animals that apply directly to us from an evolutionary standpoint. It's like, if we can understand them, then we understand ourselves better. So I'm always looking at the comparative anatomy. Like yeah. When I, when and I, you had, you when, had mentioned earlier, it's like understanding something, it will require you knowing where it came from. Where did this thing yeah. come from? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like they're, they're, you just look at some of your, some of your anatomy and it, like, and then you look at, you look at it, an amphibious animal and then you start to see the commonalities and then you see the subtle differences. And then that actually helps you understand why we are different than, than them. Like, why aren't we the same? Why was there some sort of evolutionary difference that allowed us to move in another direction that constrains them? Right, because they have constraints just like we do. They move a certain way, but they have to follow the exact same principles. And so, then the way that they execute um, gives us more information. Right, and that's okay. hard. That's hard because um, when you work in a gym atmosphere, or you work in rehab, and you you want to talk about lizards, you know, it's like okay, how is that helpful? But it but it actually is. When you look at things from from the anatomical perspective, it, it allows you to to arrive at solutions because think about this. There's certain muscles that are they're essentially the same, um, but because they're constrained differently, they behave differently in other animals. And like I said, that provides reasoning behind how we might have to do something. Right. Well, it just gives us it, it gives us a larger net to cast because we just increase we keep increasing the types of analogies that we can use in order to sort of frame our model of thinking, which I think is part of the goal well, of what and we're then, talking about here. So, yeah. And so the, the more filters that you have for, for a piece of information, the closer to reality, I think that, that your, your representation would be, right? If we only have one, if we only have one perspective um, to, to go on, then uh, you know, it's it's the proverbial, okay, I only have one tool. So, you know, like if, if all I have is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail kind of concept, right? Yeah. Um, and, and and so the, then the goal is to continue to expand what the potential representations are and then identifying the options and then arriving at better decisions. Ultimately, that's the goal. You know, the right. goal is not to – the goal is not to – to satisfy an ego the goal is to like i really want to know i really want to know what the best course of action is 
Yeah, you want you want to have you want to have the answer. You want to not only have an answer to a potential problem, but you want to be able to get there within the quickest route possible. Right, right, and and it it, it requires it requires a great deal of of curiosity, and and then stick to itiveness because it it's not yeah. fun. There's a lot of times where it's not fun and it gets very, very difficult. And then you bang your head against the wall a bunch of times. And then you've got eight books laying out on the table and you're trying to try and make, you know, some measure of connection. Right. Okay. And that also it's important that the reconciliation with the fact that you are wrong and going into every day <laughs> of your work, knowing that Absolutely. you're wrong mm -hmm. uh, and expecting to fail sometimes. But it, what we had mentioned earlier as repeating that, as long as you have, sort of set yourself up to have these sort of safe to fail experiments, you should sort of, you should welcome these failures. Absolutely. It, it, again, because it, it's like, of course, of course, it would be nice to, you know, to hit the home run, as we say, um, every time. But but the failures, here's, here's the benefit of failures. Failures tend to make you ask questions. Like when you're successful, you make an assumption that, okay, what I did was was right. Without going back and, and questioning yourself. And this should be part of, of any um, uh, management situation is you should always, regardless of the outcome, try to ask yourself the same questions like, okay, what actually happened? Why do I think it happened? Um, was there an alternative? If I did this, what were the possibilities? What are the secondary and tertiary consequences? Rather than just asking that after you fail. Because when you start to ask that after you succeed, that really starts to expand the, your your view of what is possible. Yeah. So going into it, knowing it's funny because anytime someone presents you with a question about something or a case, you always say the same things. It's you almost <laughs> always will say, well, what's the goal? Or what's the intention? What is your intention? What is your intention? Yeah. You have to have yeah, intention like, going in. <laughs> what is your intention? And then you need to know where they're starting, where did they come from? Where's their starting point? Right. And then yeah. you just, you have key performance indicators based on your experience and what you know and the probabilities that you've learned to understand. Right. And then you run, you run the experiment that we're talking about right. and make it as safe to fail as possible. That's yeah. it. That's the model. We're done, everybody. See you later. <laughs> well, but that, but see, but see that, but, but that's a really good rep, good representation. But but here's here's the thing. It's like your personal growth is, is is expands each one of those. So when you talk about like a key performance indicator, so so KPI, these are the things that you're going to use to determine whether you're moving in the in the correct direction or not. Well, how many of those do you have available to you? Do you have one? Is 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 the only key indicator that I have a counter movement jump? Okay, well, that's might be where I start. And so everybody does a counter movement jump and I work from there. And then as I gain experience, I go, oh, I could I could use, um, you know, a toe touch and I could use a split squat and I could use an overhead reach or I could use a throw because I, I've, I've expanded the representations of how the principles are applied in, in, in a variety of contexts. This is why experience matters. This is why it's a big deal um, to, to um, get to do this in practice. Because a lot of people can repeat, I think you actually said this earlier, is like a lot of people can just repeat the information, but are you speaking from experience or are you just repeating information? Right. Yeah, we, we live in a we live in a world full of twenty three year old life coaches who are trying to <laughs> tell people favorite, one of my favorite expressions. Yeah, 
Yeah, like uh, they're trying to tell people who are going through their second divorce and have alimony payments and troubles with their their high level C suite position at their job how they should act when they have literally right. no experience to draw on. Right. So it's you can you can offer you can offer this sort of uh, information that you read in a book or you got in a course and you can hope that it will give you a result, but you're you're not going to know. Yeah, everyone's got the best laid plan until they get punched in the face, right? Yes, there, and there you go. I, I, a wise man once said that uh, consumption consumption of information does not lead to mastery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just repetition yeah. of it. Just what's right. the what's the the tacit knowledge versus implicit? Is that yeah, very much so. Uh, explicit. Yeah. So explicit. So explicit, so explicit versus implicit. Yeah, explicit knowledge is the stuff that you can read and watch on on the internet, right? The tacit, and this is this is where you, yeah, when I'm in the purple room and if I'm if I'm teaching or you know trying to explain something to someone, this is why I sound like an idiot because you do things that are experiential. It's like you have an understanding of the reasoning why, but in many cases, because it is tacit, it is experiential, it is exceptionally difficult to verbalize. Um, but this is what people think. So like people say, where can I learn more about this? It's like, well, you got to do a great portion of it to actually understand it. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's in, in the coaching um, you read, you can read a lot of things, but you're not going to understand it until you actually get into a situation where you're executing. You know, and this is this is why, you know, when, when, when we do an intensive, this is why we have a group of people that are still working together um, to get better because they're 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 drawing on their experiences saying, OK, under this circumstance, here's the principles involved. Here's what I thought was going on. This is what I did. And this is the outcome. Help me understand this. Right. And so so you have a bunch of minds working together that raises everybody's game. Right. Yeah. And the, the, I think a lot of the times people, they're seeking to develop this sort of coach's eye. I guess it's what it's called in a lot of mm -hmm. in like professional circles with strength and conditioning yeah. and sport coaching. It's like you, you can see something and explain it. You can tell someone that something is happening based on what you're seeing, but it's yeah. oftentimes hard to explain to others. But what it tends to come from is that, you know, like someone's understanding of something is going to be based on their pattern recognition, which takes a lot of experience. And a lot of that, these patterns are what we were referring to with geometry and shape. Mm -hmm. So if you can understand the shape of things, like the actual constraints you're dealing with and the shapes that it, those things can attain, and then you layer on the experience, you sort of superimpose the experience and the, the reps of coaching someone or treating someone on top of yeah. that, you can develop that, um, yes. that ability. Yeah, but but here's here's the here's the bitter pill about that is that you actually have already made a choice as to how you're going to see things before you see them without you is, even is knowing. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not like say I'm going to restrict my viewpoint. It's like nobody does yeah. that. Nobody does that. Right? They think that they're open-minded and they're they're looking at reality. When when like you take all of your experience 
all the analogies that you have. And that creates the way that you will see everything. You have already decided how you will see it. And then all you're going to do is you're going to take the information that you observe, that you can recognize, um, and then you will fit it into that representation, which is why it, I know, I know that I am the greatest interference to my progress because I have a cognitive bias that will kill if the if if the time is right right i know i know that i'm i am i constantly avoid trying to fit things into the representation like right. i want to keep asking the question is like it's like how does this change things does it fit or am i am i just intentionally seeing things and and making them coherent in my mind or are they truly coherent that's the big challenge at this point um, which is yeah. very difficult. And when, we're always we're always doing that. It's like like at the right. low levels, like like when I was a young skull full of mush 32 years ago and I knew nothing and I thought I knew something. It's like I was just like I took what I knew and it's like, oh, this is that like this is that it's always going to be the same thing. It's always going to fit into the same thing. Right. And then you go, you fail enough times you go. Yeah, I don't think I have it. And then you learn the next thing you go. Oh, this is it. And then everything fits into that and everything fits into that and everything fits into that. And this is why and this is why you'll have people that that identify themselves in a certain way. Oh, I'm a manual therapist. I do manual therapy, too. But I don't consider myself a manual therapist like like that's not my only tool. And that's not my first tool in the toolbox. Right. Yeah. But but and, and again, it's, yeah. it's like. If you see things only through a singular lens, you're 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 immediately going to pose a limitation. This is why I warn people against following specific um, commercial systems. Is because the minute you start to do that, it's like you're going to pigeonhole yourself. You're going to you're capping your your potential, right? Following like it, I I I want to help people see things in in a better way, but I also know that I'm limited in that in that capacity like i know there's limitations in in what i think and in, in what i do which is why i'm going to try to keep working on you know always evolving what i do because i don't want that i don't want that limitation i don't want it to yeah. i don't want to be limited but i do know that i am i think it, i think hard, it's useful thing and it it gives people peace of mind to know that well i think everyone should know that when when it comes to progress in terms of profession and trying to be useful, there's going to be this tendency to sort of bounce between the two extremes of what's known as like the Dunning-Kruger effect, which you're talking about of like, you know, everything and everything is, keeps working. So like, you're the best. Yeah. And then you, a lot of people tend to bounce the other direction where there's so much like uh, insecurity and they have this sort of imposter syndrome and you sort right. of live within those boundaries if you're trying to push yeah. the envelope of what you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, but that's normal. And I think people should know normal. that if you're if you're experiencing those things, it's a normal thing. If you aren't experiencing those things, maybe it's time to sort of shake it up a little bit and maybe well, seek out. If you're if you're if you're not uncertain and uncomfortable, yeah. you're probably you're not getting place. better. You're probably not getting yeah. better. Yeah. You're just yeah. you're just treading water. Right. And there's gonna be certain elements. There's gonna be certain elements that you'll speak with great confidence. And that's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine. With the understanding that I I I I need to understand that that I I do have a bias, um, I I need to understand that that 
as I'm presented with with more information, with better evidence, that things do need to your, like your understanding needs to evolve. Reconsider is sponsored by Substance Nutrition. Go to substancenutrition.com. Get your neuro coffee, better coffee, better brain, and synthesis, better protein, better body. Enter the coupon code RECON, R-E-C-O-N, and get free shipping on all of your orders.